musicians, singers, appreciate your help. Uh, amen. Appreciate everyone being in the house of God today. I really do appreciate you making this your church and for being here. Uh, a couple of thank yous before we start our welcomes. First, we want to welcome back Mr. and Mrs. Nensanger here, back, back from last, last week. We want to welcome you out. Praise God. The newlyweds are back in church. That's always a good sign. Hallelujah. And I also want to thank uh, Jane and Grace and the crew for putting up the Christmas decorations around church. Church looks beautiful. Why don't we give them a hand and thank them for all their help. Amen. Thank you for all of that. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Micah. Micah. If you don't know where Micah is, it's just before Nahum. So I should help you out a little bit. Micah. This is one of the best scriptures in the whole Bible. When I read it, you're going to be like, oh, that's all. Don't read it yet. Don't just zone out and read it. And then like, just let's all read it together in a second. But um, one of, in, a, in Australia, they play AFL. And I know you all think AFL is like a rubbish sport. And at points it is, but it's a very, very physical sport. Uh, try playing it and talk to me after two minutes and see if you're out of breath yet. But um, you'll see in AFL, they take these massive marks. In Australia, we call them speckies. If you take a specky, that means you've, you've jumped on somebody else's shoulders and you've taken the mark. and They jump super high. Um, but one thing that they teach is that they teach you how to fall after you take that mark. These guys, get, these guys can jump on uh, guys' shoulders. These guys are two meters tall, jumping on their shoulders with their knees or even with their foot. So they're three, four meters up in the air and they come crashing down. But what's very important is that they teach them how to fall because if not, they could break their neck, they could break their arm, pop a shoulder out, get concussed, injure themselves. And so they teach them how to fall. And so to this morning, I want to teach all of you this morning how to fail as a Christian. Because you're going to fail. And so you better learn how to fail or else you break your neck and then be like, Pastor, how did this happen to me? Because you, I told you you're going to fall over from time to time. And so it's a class they don't teach in school. They teach you how to be successful, but they don't teach you how to fail. And if you don't know how to fail, you won't know how to be successful. Okay, so, and so the difference between average people and achieving people is not where they grew up. It's not um, their background. It's not how talented or the opportunity the difference, they say, the quote here, the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception and response to failure. The difference between average people and achieving people is their perception and response to failure. And so failing doesn't make you a failure uh, at all. And so I'm going to preach a sermon I've entitled Failing Forward. There's a book called Failing Forward, which I encourage everyone to read. Um, you, it's on YouTube as an audio book. And so I encourage everyone, John Maxwell, Failing Forward. I read this book and I wrote this sermon from that book. Uh, and so I encourage you all to read it. It will help you in life. So let's turn to Micah 7, 8 to 10. I love this text. This is all, you highlight it and this, this is awesome. So let's read. Bible says, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall, for I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. I love that scripture. And then, then he goes like on the kill. Then she who is my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? That is a top scripture. I'm going to preach that this morning. Failing forward. Let's pray 
this morning. God, we're grateful for your presence. Lord, I pray, help us to understand uh, our stumblings when we, when we fall, when we fail in life. Help us to realize that they are just steps to get to our future and our destiny. Lord, I pray, encourage those maybe failing at the moment that are, that are haunted by their past. God, I pray, bring victory, bring hope, and bring clarity by the Holy Ghost, God. We need your anointing or else we can't do anything at all, God. We thank you for what you're going to do this morning and in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody says with a shout. Amen. First, we want to look at the gospel truth. And many of you, especially when you're younger, you have goals and dreams. And, and you should. You should have goals and dreams. But the problem with these goals and dreams is that we only see the, the, the pinnacle of the mountain. We don't see how to get there. And getting up the mountain, you, there's going to be many failings. So let's just settle this right now before we move on anywhere in this sermon. You will fail in life. And you will fail hard. Let's just, let's just draw a line there and just, we're all in this boat together. And the bigger you fail, it's actually better for you. Because some people here, you're trying to live your life trying to not fail. If I just not fail, my life is a success. But that's a waste of time because there's no point trying to avoid something that is certain to happen. Proverbs 24, 16, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, and the wicked shall fall by calamity. So righteous people fall, and wicked people fall. Everyone falls. Everyone fails. The righteous fail seven times. Seven is the number of completion, which is the number of God. So you will fail completely. Let's just, let's, can we just sort of get to this point? Because we talk about, if I fail, it's the worst thing. It's not. It's going to happen. You will fail. There's no getting around it. There's a quote by this guy who did a study on people who make mistakes. He says, people who don't take risks generally make about two mistakes a year. While people who do take risks generally make about two mistakes a year. So even if you try your whole life to avoid making a mistake, you will make the same amount of mistakes as those who take risks. So you, you can't avoid it. Failure is a part of every aspect of life. Think about in sport. How many times have you dropped the ball? All the time. I saw you on Friday. All of you. You got the, the breakaway. It's all on you and you dropped the ball. Everyone's like, ah. Oh. And you failed the team. Praise the Lord. You failed. It's part of the game. How do you miss the tackle? You missed, <laughs> Chris is saying, no, I've seen him miss any tackles. You, you, you missed the tag, you, you missed the touch, or you said, no, no, you didn't do that. No. You missed it completely. You failed big time. It's true in rugby. It's true in baseball. They say in baseball, if you hit one in every three, that, that, that percentage, over 30%, you are high enough to be in the, in the Hall of Fame, in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Think about that. One in three. If you fail more often than not, they say you're in the Hall of Fame. Because this is part of life. Basketball, Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, his career shooting percentage is 47%, not even half. So if you miss half of your shots, you could be considered one of the greatest shooters of all time. So we know that in sport. Let's think, let's transfer it to marriage. Ladies. <laughs> it's all right, I'll get to the guys soon. But it's all right, just let's start. Yeah, okay. Have you been the perfect wife submitted to your husband as unto the Lord? Like really? Like, let, come on, let's talk. Come on, like, can we just not lie in church? Men, like seriously, you've been the perfect husband. You've loved your wife even as Christ loved the church. Ha! Forget it. Didn't even love her this morning. What are you talking about? What about in parenting? You've been the perfect father. You've been the perfect mother. So if you haven't, none of us have. So what? Are you just going to quit? I haven't been the perfect father, so I'm leaving everybody. What? I haven't been a good, good wife, so that's it. I'm leaving. That, that is not how it works. So it's true in every area. Can you believe the Bible is filled of stories of people failing? 
That's why I love reading the Bible, because it makes me feel like, I'm actually pretty good. Like, look, look at these guys. They're really messed up. Like, seriously. And I, what I love is that the, Holy, the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit thought, you know what? These failures, failures need to be remembered for all time. I'm going to write it down. Like, aren't you glad you didn't live in Bible days? Because our failures no one knows about, or two, three people know about. Everyone in the world will ever know about these failures, and they will preach on them like I'm doing this morning. Think about Abraham. I'm not even going to address the fact that he slept with his next door neighbor. I'm not even going to go down that path. All right. And, and he produced all of the Arab nations and the Muslims came from him. Okay, talk about a mistake, but I'm not even going to address that. Genesis 12, he's going to Egypt, there's a famine, he goes to Egypt to get some food, and his wife's good looking, Sarah's beautiful, the Bible says, and so he says, listen, uh, because you're my wife uh, and you're beautiful, they're going to want to kill me uh, so they can marry you, so just tell everyone that you're my sister. Is that all good? Because then they won't kill me, they'll probably just, you know, take you, sleep with you and all that, but hey, they'll leave me alone, so that's all good. Is that okay? That's what he does. Ladies, imagine your husband said to you, babe, I love you, but just tell everyone that you're my sister. Don't, 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 don't say nothing. You'd be like, hmm, I think you're sleeping outside tonight and for a, a while, you know. And he did it twice. Like, one, okay, twice. And then his son did it because he was faithless that God would protect him. Now, what is Abraham known as? The father of our and he can't, even, he can't even tell people that his wife's his wife. This guy's got serious issues. What about Moses? This dude had serious anger issues, more than all of you here combined. He sees an, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. The Bible says he looked that way, and he looked the other way. Like, it's so cool. The Bible's like, he looked left, he looked right, no one's there. And he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Because that, no one's going to ever find out about it. When, you know, when, <laughs> when Mr. Muslim guy doesn't show up at, at home, he's like, Where, where's so-and-so? I don't know, he just disappeared. People found out about it. He runs away for 40 years. Imagine skipping church for 40 years. This is a story of epic failure. Used to live in Pharaoh's palace. Now he's in, living in the desert. Finally, God restores him, goes. Then he goes, he's on the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments from God. And God wrote them with his finger. God's finger wrote them. Talk about God's handwriting. Gives them to Moses. Moses walking down the, the mountain. He sees them, the children of Israel, with the golden calf. They're dancing around. He gets so angry, he breaks the tablets that God just gave him. Are you insane? This is from God himself. And now you just smash them again. God said, go speak to the rock. I'm going to give him water. And he goes, listen here, you rebellious people. I'm going to give you stinking water. And he smacks the rock with a, with a rod. And God's like, are you insane? Dude had issues, but look at Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Does that sound like a humble man? So how is he humble? Because failure makes you humble. Failure is good for you. Because if we didn't fail, we'd all be prideful pigs. And could the church say amen? Amen. I'll say it for myself. Amen. Gotcha. What about Peter? Talk about a dude always running his mouth. Like... Jesus said, you're all going to forsake me. And he's like, dude, Jesus, listen, I'm not going to forsake you. John over there, yeah, him maybe. He looks a bit dodgy. Um, you know, Bartholomew, who has a name of Bartholomew? Like, it is definitely, he's leaving you. Not me. These guys are Lukies, not me. Jesus says, before the rooster crows in the morning, in 12 hours, bro, you're done. So then he starts following from a distance, as we know, and you should never follow Christ from a distance because you always end up forsaking him. Then he starts swearing and cursing that he doesn't know Christ. And look at Luke 22, 60 to 63. Now, have any of you ever failed like this? Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. This is after his cursing and swearing. And immediately, while he's still speaking, the rooster crowed. 
And then look at verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine saying, I don't beep and know Christ, and Christ just looks at you? You don't know me? Oof, oh, how do you recover from that? How do you recover from that? You know, we get, we get you know, you, we can't recover when we talk smack about someone and they find out about it. Imagine talking smack about Christ and he looked you in the eye. This is a major failure. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. But look at verse 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. I never saw this before. I bet they were probably mocking him about Peter. Peter, this was supposed to be your number one disciple, Jesus, and he swears that he doesn't even know you. Whew. Then Peter preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people get saved. So failure is going to happen. Look, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Like, you've got to be pretty legit to baptize Jesus. Then he doubts him, sends his disciples, can you just check if, I, if he's actually the Christ? Because I'm a bit, I don't know, because John the Baptist is in jail. Because how many know when we're baptizing people, God is great when you're in jail. Is he really God? I don't know. And in that same chapter, he says, should we look for Jesus or is there someone else? In that same chapter, Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born among women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. The failure. The one who doubted Christ. So failure will happen. It happens to everyone. And failure is actually good for you. So why are we going to failure? So why are we going to fail? Why did I, see, I'm going to fail a lot of times in this sermon. Why is this going to happen? Why will we fail? It's because success, listen, success involves failure. We think success is never making a mistake. No, 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 no. Success is you screw up, but then you keep going. And you learn from your failure. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, yeah, go fail, it's good for you. I'm not purposely. But when you make a mistake or you stumble, that is not the end of the road. That is part of the journey to success. Because success is a journey. It's not, a, it's not just a point. It's like baking a cake. I don't bake cakes. Beck does every now and again. But I've seen from, she puts different ingredients in. Those ingredients don't taste good by themselves. No one has ever said, I'll tell you what I'm really craving. Craving some flour. I just love some flour, some bicarb. Like, I'd really, just really appreciate just, just salt, just knock it down. No one's ever said that. Why? Because they, they're horrible by themselves. But mixed together with some other things, and it makes something beautiful, makes something pleasing. Failure is one of those things. Just like flour is necessary to baking a cake, your failure is necessary to your success. It's necessary. It's an ingredient. And so it's this journey that you will get through. You have to do it. You will never get to success if you never fail. You say, I'm too scared to fail. Well, you'll never succeed. And if you never fail, either A, you're not trying, but B, you actually are failing because you're not trying. <laughs> when Beck and I we, one, we had one night in Hawaii on the way back um, from America and we're in the pool and I'm jumping in and stuff and Beck's just sitting on the side I'm like what are you doing she goes I don't want to get my hair wet I said we're in blinking Hawaii get your stinking hair wet my beloved of my life the one whom I love with all my heart you're in Hawaii you're at the, we're at the pool in Hawaii and you're like you know what I don't really you know, I'm not, not really this is life you're going to have to get your hair wet it's going to happen. It's the gospel truth. And some of you, you base your life on, you view the value of your life whether you fail or not. And that's not true. That You shouldn't do that. God will never define you by your mistakes. Ever. How does God define us? By his son. All through the Bible it talks about changing names. 
And that's because God gives us a new identity because God doesn't remember our failings. When we get to heaven, we're going to get a new name. And so don't live in the past of your failures. I've got to move on because this, today's a little bit longer sermon, but I hope God speaks to you. Let's look secondly at the growing trend. The growing trend. Verse 8 says, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall. It's a picture of someone mocking someone else, rejoicing in their downfall. And let's be honest, that's, that's what we all hate about failure. It's not even the fact that we failed. It's that people rejoice when we fail. It's how we look. We don't even fear failure. We fear what people will think about us. That's the deeper issue. And this is one of the hardest battles. It's not that you failed. It's what people think. And we're so consumed about what people think and our self-image. But everybody fails. Fails. Many of you know this. Some of you may not know this. That uh, before I married Beck, I was engaged to another girl. And talk about an epic failure. I stuffed up big time. Like, big time. I was engaged to this girl. And God told me, clearly, months before the wedding, God said, she's not the one. Clear as day. I knew, 100%. So did I break it off straight away? No, not, not a chance. Do you know why? Because I was scared what other people would think. I was scared what people would say. And the embarrassment was like nearly too much to bear. This was the pastor's daughter. Now what's the pastor going to think about me? What's my family going to think about me? I had family that had flown over, already booked their tickets from America. They actually did end up coming. Wasted all that money. What are my friends going to think about me? What about my work that I've been witnessing to for the last two years, three years? What are they going to think about me? And I was more concerned about what other people thought about me than the actual failure. And it's really, really messed me up. And some people in your mind, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you fail. Can I tell you, in God's eyes, the best thing that will ever happen to you is that you fail. It's the best thing that ever happened. Do you know what the best thing that ever happened to me? Is that I failed in that relationship. Because I was thinking, of, imagine if I didn't. Imagine, imagine if I didn't break it off because I was too scared of failing in front of other people. Number one, I wouldn't be married today. 100%, no, no chance. She's, she had a kid to another person and within three years she was divorced to that guy. I wouldn't be in the ministry. Probably wouldn't be saved. We definitely wouldn't have this church. You probably wouldn't be saved. I, I, I wouldn't have Beck. I wouldn't have Isaiah. I wouldn't have all of you. So was my failure a failure? It wasn't. Was it good for me? Absolutely. It was the best thing that ever happened. Did it kill me? 100%. But sometimes we need to get killed. Because it makes you humble. So why was I so concerned about others, what other people thought about my failure? Because of this. We link our self-worth without performance if I perform well I'm worth something if I don't perform I'm not worth anything when we fail you hit a you take a hit on your value and you have all sorts of crazy thoughts in your head right it's not the failure it's what's in your head because the failure is not that big because people don't even remember it people don't really care although we think everyone cares (laughs) people don't care you have things like you're worthless I knew you weren't good enough. You'll never be good enough. 
you just might as well quit now. You always stuff it up. You're hurting other people. Just stop. Everyone thinks you're a failure. You should just quit. Reason being because we associate our value with performance. And the growing trend is that when people fail, they throw in the towel. I'll just quit. I'm, I'm not doing this. Have you ever felt that? We've all felt that. It's easier to quit than to keep going, right? That's why we do it, because we go for the, the path of least resistance. And we've all felt that. But the problem with that logic is that we're going to fail in every area of life. So we're, gonna fa- we're just going to quit on everything? We can't. Should we all just pack up and go home right now? You're telling me you're never going to sin? So should we just, just, thanks for coming. We had a good run. We had six years. Let's pack it up and go. So what should we do? So we need to get our self-worth and our value, not from performance, but from God himself. You have to be connected to God because God's love doesn't change even when we fail. Reason being, number one, God's love can't, is infinite. It can't diminish. It can't get any more or less. It, God is love. Every, all of love of all humanity is all placed inside of you. And so it doesn't matter what you do. And so number one, God's love is infinite, infinite. Number two, he died for you while you were failing. So, think about it. Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? While we were still failing, Christ died for us. So now that you're not failing as bad, do you think God's going to be like, oh, what the heck now? That's it. Stuff, stuff these guys. God's not going to turn around now. He didn't, he didn't forsake us when we were the ultimate failure. Now that we're trying and we make some mistakes, when we were in full rebellion, God still loved us. Now we make a couple of mistakes and we think God's not going to love us. Of course he does. He knows. You think he's going to try and give, he's going to give up on us now? God's love doesn't change. And he loved you just as much as he ever did because your performance does not determine your value. If you're amazing, cool. If you're horrible, cool. You don't change to God. You're the same. And sometimes we, we just get so, how could God love me? How could God love me? Yeah, true. On your best day, how could God love you? Your best day ever. Ever. You, you want four billion people to Christ. How could God love you? Your good works are filthy rag. How could God love you? Because it's not about works, it's about who God is. I hope you understand that. And the issue at hand is that fear of failure can become a culture that, that hits other people. One of the stories in the book, I really do encourage all of you to read the book. Uh, the audio book is under three hours. You can knock it over in a week. You can knock it over in a night if you wanted to. But imagine if you listen to half an hour a day, you'd, you'd knock the whole book out in a week. The issue is about culture and so they talk about the story of these four monkeys they're put in a room and they had this pole and they had the uh, all these bananas at the top of the pole and whenever a monkey would one monkey would go up the pole try and climb up to get the monkey the the bananas they'll get a massive hose like a, a fire hydrant hose and they'll shoot the monkey with this water and it'll blast the monkey and it'll go away uh crying in the corner and it'll try a couple of times but then it'll get blasted then each monkey will try but then it'll get watered down and so no one will do it then they took out, of the four monkeys, they all tried and failed. They took out one monkey and put another guy in who's never, who's never failed. Then this monkey would try and go up the, the, the pole for the first time and all the other monkeys will pull him down and stop him because they failed and they don't want him to do anything so they pull him down. Then they take out the other three monkeys and replace them with new monkeys. And none of them, so none of them have ever uh, touched the water. None of them ever failed. But as soon as one goes climbing up the pole, they'll all grab him and pull him down. Even though none of them have failed, but the fear of failure has become a culture there. And even though they haven't done anything, they still pull each other down. 
can I just say, the fear of failure is trans- transferable. And you can put that spirit on other people. And if you don't hear anything else from this sermon, remember this. If you have failed and you are spreading your failure to everyone else and encouraging them, don't do it because I failed, God have mercy on your soul. We, we, we've got enough people dragging us down. The last thing we need in the house of God is someone trying to do something and everyone pulling him down. And say, no, because you failed. Okay, you failed and you want to be a failure for the rest of your life. That's on you. But don't cause other people to fail. Then we do that in marriage, right? Someone's getting married. <laughs> Oh, the ball and chain begins, my friend. You know, like it's just, or if someone wants to get sent out or someone wants to be involved in ministry, oh, it's going to be hard. Well, okay, cool. What's not hard? It's all going to be hard, but it's worth it. So don't let your life be full of, of a culture of fear and don't put that on other people either. I've got a cool quote here. It said, losers quit when they fail. Winners fail when they succeed. Well, fail until they succeed. Failure defeats losers, but it inspires winners. I failed my exam in some subjects, but my friend passed. Now he's an engineer at Microsoft, and I'm the owner. Bill Gates. Just because you fail doesn't mean that life's over. It's you, just, you keep going. Failure defeats losers, but it inspires winners. So when you fail, you can be like, all right, take that one. Let's try again. Now I know what not to do. That's really bad. Tell you how I knew, knew how to find a really good girl. Because I knew what was really bad on the other side. Because I made a really, really bad choice. So I knew what to do the second time. I was good, right? So life is not about when you fail or if you fail. It's about how you process failure. Okay, Pastor Mitchell's got a famous quote. Life is not so much about what happens to you. It's how you react to what happens to you. Because I deal with people all the time. Some people, they go through certain things. And they backslide, complain, hate God, hate the church, hate everybody. Turn Muslim, you know what I mean, like go full. And other people, they go through the same problem and they rise and they become great men and women of God. So it doesn't matter if you failed, it's just how you react. Just because you failed in the past doesn't mean God is done with you either. How many of you thought that? I failed, God's, God's done with me. I've felt that heaps of times. I preached a sermon, I was like, that was so bad. Like even the devil was depressed after that sermon. Like it was so bad. It was horrible. Right? But just because you make a mistake doesn't mean God's done with you. Of course not. First Samuel is obviously all about a guy by the name of Samuel. And um, Samuel, he's in charge, he's a prophet. He's in charge of anointing the next king of Israel, the first king of Israel. They reject God. They want a king. They don't want God as king. They want a physical king. So He's in charge of that, and he anoints Saul. Saul's the first king. Saul's a big guy, good-looking guy, head and shoulders above everybody else. He's the perfect guy. And he anoints him as king. God told him that's the one. He anoints him as king. But the problem is, Saul is a very bad king. Saul's a horrible king. And he, he makes some really bad choices. And that affects the people. And now, many times, uh, how do I say this? When we take other people's failures as our own. So we help other people, but when they mess up, we think that we messed up because we didn't help them enough. So here's Samuel, he, he anointed Saul, he's in charge, it was all on him. Everyone's looking at Samuel, anoint us a king, you're from God. And he anoints Saul, and Saul becomes horrible. And so Samuel's probably thinking, you know what, I'm never doing that again. I, I step out for God, and it fails. I was obedient to God, and it fails. Saul is wicked, and now the people are against me now. And at that point, many of us, I'll just be a token Christian. I'll just do a couple of things here and there, but I am not going to 
be the full man of God or woman of God that God's called me to be because I failed. Look what God says to Samuel again after this. 1 Samuel 16.1 Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? I love then this line here. Fill your horn with oil and go. For I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, and I provided myself a king amongst his sons. Samuel could have said, you know, I, I don't want to go. I, I've, done, I've, I've tried and I failed. I don't want to do this again. I failed really bad. Maybe you've, you've made a mistake. Maybe you failed in ministry. Maybe you failed in your marriage. Maybe you failed in education, your finances, whatever area. This is what the word of the Lord is saying to you. Fill up your horn with oil and go. What that means is go, fill yourself with the spirit of God and go and do what I told you to do. And here is Samuel. He's like, ah, fine. He's probably chucked his horn of oil out. You know, he's like, I'm never using that again. You know, he has to go through the cupboard, finds it underneath his rugby boots and stuff. He finds it, you know, it's there. And he gets it. And who does he anoint? He anoints David, the greatest king of all Israel. And Jesus comes from the house of David because Samuel was obedient after failure. Verse 8 to 9. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will enlighten me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because he has, I have sinned against him. Yeah, I screwed up and I'm going to pay for my consequences. Absolutely. I, I stuffed up here. He goes, but the Lord's going to plead my case and execute justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I will see righteousness. Some people here, you're so focused on your past and it's ruining your future. You view everything in light of your failures in the past. The reason you don't want to do something, I failed in the past, therefore I don't want to do something again. There's a cool book out. It's called Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. It's a good book. You should read it. But there's time where you're supposed to go out for God as if you've never failed. Live for God like you've never failed. Not because you won't, but because God is still great. It's time to move on and go again, not to quit and pull back. Isaiah 43, 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. I love that. Because, yeah, you caked it. Okay, forget about it. I'm going to do something new in your life. How many are glad God's going to do something new in your life? He's not, God's not a baseball umpire. One strike, fine, I'll give you another chance. Two strike, you're on your final warning. You do this one more time, you're out of here. Mate. Third strike, that's it, get out of here. I don't want to see you ever again. God, God, we say God's the God of the second chance, but he's not. He's God of like the four billionth chance. How many chances does God give us every day? His mercy is renewed every single day. So if you would just humble yourself before God, because prideful people say no to God's forgiveness. Humble people say, oh, thank you. Thank you that God, your grace is sufficient. So the growing trend is people quit. But let's close with a generous tender, and that's the generous offer. I couldn't find something that started with T that matched, but tender means offer. Prom I look it up, I promise. The generous offer from God is that he will use us despite of our past. And that's what I love about God. Verse 10. <laughs> and she who is my enemy will see, shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? You know when people see you fail, oh, you don't have enough faith to God, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do this. Well, my eyes are going to see her and she will be trampled down like the mud on the street. That's a beautiful scripture. Put that on your fridge. People will doubt you, and the devil will doubt you, but the Lord will reign forevermore. And even though those voices in your head will be telling you to quit and pull out and stop, those voices will be trampled out like on mud on the street. 
and you can be the man or woman that God's called you to be. Church, we have one life. You only have one life. 2019 is finished. We're in December. We're in December, guys. Three weeks, 2020. Remember when 2020 was like so far away? It's in a couple of weeks. So now, that life is going fast. Some of you remember when I preached shoot your arrows, it felt like yesterday. It's been a year. It's how quick life is. Some of you are so afraid to fail that you'll never win. So don't be afraid to fail. Because God will still use you despite the failure. Someone said that most great people have attained their greatest success just one step beyond their greatest failure. You just got to keep going. Take another step, take another step, take another step. You know, people would have thought Jesus was a failure when on the cross all that was there was just John and his mum. Imagine you had ministry for three years and the only people in your church was one guy who was just obsessed with being, had obsession about being loved and your mum. No one else. Everyone else left you. Most people would say Jesus was a failure, but he wasn't. So let's close with three, three things. Three things. I know I'm going a little bit longer this morning, but we took out a song so I can go a bit longer, okay? So, number one, don't quit too early. Most of the time, we just quit too soon. Maybe you're failing today. Just keep going a little bit longer. There's a man by the name of John Wooden. He's one of the greatest college basketball coaches. He is the greatest college basketball coach. He's won 12 titles at one point for UCLA. He won 11 in a row. Imagine winning 11 titles in a row. It's almost like the Golden State Warriors. But he won all of these. And you are the greatest. You're the greatest. This 12-year span was amazing. But he went, do you know how many he won in his first 16 years? Zero. He failed as a coach for 16 years. But he didn't quit. And in the 17th year, he won his first championship. And he kept winning them until his 28th year. Some of you, maybe you've been failing for a little while now. Just don't stop. Don't stop. You might call it failure. It's probably called preparation. It prepares you for, for ministry. All the failures that I look back at my life, I'm like, oh, that's, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because it's preparing me for something else now. How many of you remember the first time you went to the gym? Couldn't even lift the bar. And when you woke up in the morning and couldn't walk, right? But if you quit after one time that it hurts, you'll never get any gains. So if you're going to quit after one time you get some pain, you'll never get any gains in life. So don't use, it was, oh, it wasn't meant to be, I can't do it, it's not for me. Yeah, it, pro- it is. Just keep going, okay? Can we just put that aside? It's a lie from the enemy. It's not for me. It is for you. Keep going. Don't quit. So number one, don't quit too early. Number two, you need to define success before you define failure. Because most people here, you do, not know, you do not know what success is before God. If I had to ask you, what is success in God's eyes? Think about it. What is success in God's eyes? Would you say fruitfulness? If fruitfulness, if our church, the size of our church determined our success, so when disciples left, when the disciples left Jesus, was he a failure? In John 6, when the people left Jesus, was he a failure because his church went down? If it's fruitfulness, if Mormon churches have larger churches than us, does that mean they're, they're more blessed than we're, failure, we're failures? You know, when Jesus, Jesus was um, he, uh, talking with Peter and the disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? And they say, some John the Baptist, some Elijah. And they said, some say Jeremiah. 
I don't know if you've read the book of Jeremiah. It's very depressing. No one gets saved. So why do people say that Jesus was like Jeremiah? Wasn't Jeremiah a failure? No one got saved. What about Noah? Preached his whole life and all he could save was his own family? Sort of. The family even turned on him. Is it status? That the status you get in life is that success? So was, was, Paul, was Paul a failure? Because he was in prison. What about influence? What, what, what is success? And let me tell you what success is in God's eyes. Success in God's eyes is obedience. Jeremiah lived his whole life without one convert, but was a success. That's why they said to Jesus, why, why, is this Jeremiah? Because this guy is obedient. Just to do what God's called you to do and leave the results to him. Because we're so results orientated, right? So results orientated. And that, that's good. You should have that element. But first, what does God want me to do? That, that's, that's it. Come high water, come low water, come no water. What does God want me to do? Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night you, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Obedience. Just be obedient. I've got a really cool quote here. I really like this quote. I was so excited to say this the whole week. Don't worry about how much milk you spill. Just don't lose your cow. I really like that. Like That is the coolest quote ever. How good is that? Don't worry about how much milk you spill. Just don't lose your cow. Doesn't matter how many mistakes you make. Just don't lose your faith. Doesn't matter. Don't lose the sacred cow, okay? Just keep going. So success in God's eyes is obedience. So number one, don't quit too early. Number two, defining success is just obedience through thick and thin. That's why he'll say on, on when we stand before him, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Good, faithful. Not good and fruitful and you did it. No, you just, you were faithful. And finally, remember that God uses actual people, not ideal people. Because if he uses ideal people, none of us would make it. Beck, maybe. She stole an apple once, and, you know, but the rest of us, no, no chance. As we read our Bibles, you may, in Matthew, none of you have read the first seven, 17 verses of Matthew. The reason being is because I said, this guy begot this guy, begot this guy, begot this guy, begot this guy, begot this guy. And you, you read the first few verses and you're like, yeah, 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 and then verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus. Like we, we just skip over that first 17 verses. I've done it many times. But I'm going to preach a sermon from that 17 verses soon. But it's all the names of the lineage of Christ. It starts from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it goes all the way through to Jesus. But in this lineage, it's very odd because Matthew was written to Jews. Jews want lineage, but they, the women were never, ever part of the lineage of someone, right? It, that's just how they, they, they saw it. But in this uh, breakdown, there's, three, there's actually four women presented. That's very odd because they, they were never part of lineage. And look, let's look at the women that Matthew recorded. Number one, he recorded a woman by the name of Tamar. Tamar was a prostitute. He included another woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. He mentions Bathsheba without actually saying her name. It says David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So it's like David had Solomon because there was a lady that you know he 
he slept with her and then he killed his husband, her husband. And I just sort of put it all in there. Like, I just like this little, without mentioning her, but, but it didn't pretend it didn't happen. So the three ladies that are used, and Ruth, and, but she, was, she wasn't Jewish. And so, like, again, that would have threw him off. So Tamar, the prostitute, um, Rahab, the prostitute, and Bathsheba, the one who sleeps with the king. Well, gee, that's a great lineage of Jesus, our Lord. So why didn't they just get, get it, not say it? Why did, they, why did they say it? The reason why is because God doesn't use perfect people. He doesn't use actual people. He uses actual people, not ideal people. Think, uh, if I didn't do that, then I'll be ready for God's use. Yeah, true. But God doesn't use perfect people. He doesn't use ideal people because none of us are ideal. He uses actual people, the ones that fail and get back up again. Our text says, until he pleads my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. Church, just don't quit. If the lineage of Jesus included three prostitutes, surely God can still use us. Surely. So if you failed, you made mistakes, join the club, we all have. Many of you, you have only seen me as a pastor. You haven't seen me as a disciple. I made heaps of mistakes. And I'm not going to tell you all of them, 100%. But by the grace of God, I can get through those mistakes, and so can you. We're all in this together. So don't quit. That's the hope of Christmas, isn't it? That God gave his son, that we have another chance at life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray.